The tallest man in medical history, the guy who's in the record books, Robert Wadlow, when last measured June 27, 1940, he was 8 feet 11.1 inches tall. 8 feet 11.1 inches tall. Goliath, whom David fought and killed, stood at least 9 feet 9 inches tall. I say at least because the Hebrews actually used three different cubit units. They had a common unit, a royal unit, and a long unit. It's kind of like when you're doing espresso. There's a short shot, a regular shot, and a long shot. Uh, but they were two inches off of each other, so the one was 18 inches, another was 20, and one was 22. By the long measure, the long cubit, Goliath could have been 12 feet tall. And then some have suggested that if they used the cubit of, of Goliath from his arm, because you know, if you measured him from his arm, he could be even taller still. But if we go at the 12-foot measure, Goliath was fully six feet taller than a tall man and fully three feet taller than the tallest man we have on record. There were other remarkable giants in the Old Testament. Og, the king of Bashan, he is said to have slept in an iron bed measuring at least 13 and a half feet by 6 feet. Using the longer cubit again, Og's bed could have been as much as 16 and a half feet long. Now either he just wanted a really huge bed or he was a pretty tall guy. In the book of Numbers, we read of the Anakites. For example, Numbers 13.33, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. In Deuteronomy, we read about the Emites. Uh, Deuteronomy 2.10, the Emim had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites call them Emim or Emim. Rephaites or Rephaim are an ancient race of biblical giants. According to Genesis 14, verse 5, King Cherdurlamer and his allies attacked and defeated the Rephaites at Ashertoth Karnaim. Rephaites are also mentioned in Genesis, Deuteronomy, Joshua, 2 Samuel, and 1 Chronicles. Here's my favorite group, the Zamzumim. That's a biblical name for giants. We learn in Deuteronomy 2.20, that was the name given to them by the Ammonites who displaced them. They called them the Zamzumim. Maybe that's what you said when you saw one of them. Zamzumim. You know, because these guys were big. What we call giantism, or actually it's gigantism, is usually caused by a tumor on the pituitary gland of the brain. It affects about 1% of the population. Giants typically suffer from many physical limitations and disabilities, and they don't normally live that long. Robert Wadlow moved so slowly and with such difficulty that his day-to-day -day activity was severely limited. As one account put it, and I quote, the human body is not well suited to deal with the demands that such a large frame places on it. And Robert began to experience problems with his lower extremities. Leg braces helped him overcome the difficulties he had with the feeling in his legs and feet. Actually, there's reports that he had very little feeling in his legs and feet. He was only 22 years old when he died as a result of a septic blister on his right ankle caused by the brace, which had been poorly fitted only a week earlier. And so... Um, I remember when I broke my ankle back in 1985 serving the Lord at the church picnic. 
when they finally took the cast off, back in those days they used a real cast, not like those phony things that they have today. I had a real plaster cast. I had a huge blister, blood blister in there uh, that uh, they had to lance, and I almost fainted. But anyway, so this guy got a blister like that and died from it. Now, unlike Robert Wadlow, biblical giants were warriors. They lived long lives, and they demonstrated remarkable agility and strength. They didn't require leg braces, but instead they were almost superhumanly strong. Goliath, for example, was outfitted with 250 pounds of armor for battle. He wore it nimbly. He and the other giants of the Bible seemed to be very different from people like wrestler Andre the Giant, who stood a mere seven foot four inches tall and died at age 46. I mentioned Og. At Og's height, keeping everything in proportion, and this was calculated by the guys over at Answers in Genesis, some science guys, Og would weigh in at close to 2,000 pounds. So this is a maybe 15 foot tall, 2,000 pound individual. Obviously, his skeletal structure was much, much different from that of a, Norman, a normal human struck with gigantism. And so the reason I'm going into this in so much detail is because I think we have a tendency to think of these giants. First of all, we don't think of the giants in the Old Testament, even though they're all over its pages. And when we do, we think of them as very tall men, like basketball players. But they're very, very different than any kind of creatures that we have ever encountered. They are not just taller men suffering from pituitary tumors. They were absolutely unique. So where did these giants come from? And how were they so mighty? Verse 4 of Genesis 6 says, There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Before the global flood, and again after it, These giants were the product of the sons of God marrying and mating with the daughters of men. Now, we established in our last study that the sons of God were fallen angels. They married and mated with human females both before and after the flood, and the result were these giants. The word for giant, the first word, is Nephilim. It means fallen ones. It isn't describing their size. By itself, Nephilim doesn't indicate they were giants. The word is intended to tell you this is a new race of beings that have come into existence. And so fallen angels mate with human women and it produces Nephilim, something that we haven't ever seen before. They're described as the mighty men of old, men of renown. The word here is Giborim and it speaks of their exploits. Arnold Fruchtenbaum says of them, They were superhuman. They had human characteristics, but were at the same time superhuman. They had extra capacities, both mentally and physically. Francis Schaeffer, another smart guy, wrote this. He said, more and more we are finding that mythology in general, though greatly contorted, very often has some historic basis. And the interesting thing is that one myth which occurs over and over and over again in many parts of the world is that somewhere a long time ago, supernatural beings had sexual intercourse with women and produced a special breed of people. Later in the Old Testament, we learn that the Nephilim were also of giant stature. Now, if you're like me, you're willing to admit that there were Nephilim before the flood, but how can there be Nephilim post-flood? That comes as a surprise. 
uh, because we think that they're all destroyed. Well, I should mention that not everyone thinks post-flood giants are Nephilim. They seem to think of them as run-of-the-mill giants. So when I mention, for example, Goliath, they say, well, that was just a, a giant, uh, someone suffering from gigantism, like Robert Wadlow or Andre the Giant. But the mechanics of their size and their warrior exploits seem to favor Nephilim. People who suffer from gigantism don't carry 250 pounds of armor into battle and strike terror into their enemies. Uh, and so we're definitely dealing with something that is not human. The Bible doesn't say how there were post-flood Nephilim, so we can't be certain. The only way we know that Nephilim are produced is by fallen angels marrying and mating with women. And we know that Noah and those spared with him were not related to foreign, uh, fallen angels, so they could not have carried any bad uh, DNA with them. And, and so all the Nephilim were wiped out uh, with the flood, as were the human population, and you only have Noah and, and his family. And so yet right there in Genesis it says there were Nephilim again afterward. So most likely... From the information that we have, more fallen angels again married and mated with human females after the flood. Now, it's interesting, thinking about that, post-flood giants seem to be concentrated in and around the promised land. And so in the time of Noah, this was an epidemic. There were, they were you know, there, uh, fallen angels were marrying and mating. They were producing all kinds of offspring and they were corrupting the gene pool. Um, but afterward, these giants were pretty localized and concentrated in the promised land. And it seems to be a more localized strategy of Satan's to discourage Israel from conquering the land. It was no longer a plan to corrupt the gene pool so much as it was to produce a race of super soldiers who would turn back the Israelite conquest of the land. Always factor in that Satan has a strategy for trying to thwart the plan of God. And he, he did his best to dis, uh, you know, destroy the DNA of the human race. That failed. God said, hey, if you're going to do that, I'm going to bring the flood. And so he turned his attention to keeping Israel from getting into the promised land by having these giants there. And it seemed to work. Because if you think about it, one of the major reasons the ten spies had for saying no for going into the promised land was that there were giants in the land. You remember the story? Moses, whether it was smart or not, turns out to be a bad move. Hindsight is always better. Twelve spies go in. Two of them come out and they say, we can beat them. Let's go. We're ready to go, Joshua and Caleb. The other ten are hesitant. And the reason was that there were giants there. Numbers 13. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And so this was their, this was their major reason. They said, hey, yeah, we've been to the promised land. The giants are there. And they're so big that we look like grasshoppers compared to them. You know those pictures that you see in Sunday school of 
two men carrying a, a bunch of grapes that are the size of basketballs? Who needs basketball-sized grapes? Giants do. That's who. And so they were probably messing with the genetics of the crops as well. You ever think about that? So one of the things that's blowing my mind about this days of Noah stuff is that we really don't pause to think about just the reality of what the word of God is saying. And so these guys are saying, hey, we'd love to go into the promised land, but you don't understand there are 12 foot, 15 foot tall giants there and they move pretty fast. They're pretty nimble. They're warriors. They're they're, um, nobody to take lightly. We're going to get crushed if we go in there. And the evil report of these ten spies kept Israel out of the land for how long? Forty years until that generation died off. And so the plan seemed to be working. When Joshua led them in finally, forty some odd years later, they encountered giants over and over again. For example, Joshua eleven twenty one and 22. At that time Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains from Hebron, from Debir, and from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. The Anakim, the sons of Anak, were the race of giants. And so they were fighting these giants in the promised land. Uh, Caleb in his famous speech hey give me my inheritance he talks about going and displacing the giants that were there in his inheritance God is sometimes criticized for ordering Israel to destroy all the inhabitants of the promised land it seems cruel we always point out that anybody human who wanted to get saved could have gotten saved Rahab is the example but there were others who converted to Judaism you, you didn't have to be killed you could become uh, a convert. But what we don't ever factor in is that the presence of Nephilim there in the promised land dug in. There were these race of giants who lived in the promised land. And so extermination makes more sense if there were Nephilim. They They have to be destroyed. God destroyed them once in the flood. Now he's going to let Israel destroy them in open conflict. And so that's what's happening. There were giants after the conquest of the promised land. It is thought that David and his mighty men finished the work of exterminating the Nephilim from off the earth. For example, we read of this encounter from 2 Samuel 21. When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines. David grew faint. Then Ishbi Benab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibichai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of a giant. Again, there was war at Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jer-Oregim, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was war at Gath where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he was also born to the giant. So when he defiled Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, killed him. 
These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. When you start to pay attention, you see that giants are a big part. Get it? Little pun there, big. They're a big part of the Old Testament history. And again, we read through texts like that, and because we're conditioned to think of tall men, we don't understand the gravity of it. Uh, I mean, it's, I think all of us know it's pretty crazy that a little shepherd boy like David could take down a giant like Goliath. But if you could really see this represented, David's like a teenager. He's what, maybe, I mean, they were short in those days. We, we think of David as six feet tall, but a tall man in those days was probably five foot five inches. Five foot six inches. David might have stood five feet tall against a 12 foot man, or well, giant, uh, who weighed at least 1,500 pounds. Uh, And so this is kind of a terrifying thing. And he wasn't like Andre the Giant moving very slowly in his wrestling moves or Robert Wadlow who couldn't hardly move at all. These were superior warriors. And so uh, giants are all over the place. So why don't they find giant skeletons? Well, one writer said, and I quote, search the Smithsonian galleries, for example, you'll see not a single giant bone or footprint cast on display. Clear impression given is that evidence of giants has never been found, and intentionally or not, this tends to cast the biblical record in an unfavorable light. Scores of giant skeletons have been allegedly unearthed in the past couple of centuries. There is some evidence that these were ignored or destroyed or hidden by places like the Smithsonian because they defy the current theories of anthropology. It's not beyond the scientists to overlook or hide evidence contrary to their theories. Uh, And I I don't want to become a conspiracy theorist. There's a lot of crazy stuff out there. There's a lot of photoshopped stuff. There's a lot of fake giant finds. Uh, But there are some genuine stories that at least have been reported by newspapers of skeletons that were found that were uh, of enormous size turned over to places like the Smithsonian never to be seen again. And, and I, we're not against science. We don't want to be those Christians that people think you know, don't have a brain. We believe evidence in the world supports the biblical narrative of creation rather than the phony theory of evolution. But we do know, and we could give you many, many examples of scientists ignoring things because they don't fit the current understanding. And I'll tell you right now that scientists don't want to admit that there were giants because then you'd have to admit that the Bible was accurate and that there's something more going on. And so that is at least one possibility. Bones of giants have been reported. Here's one report. This is from a newspaper, 1877 in Eureka, Nevada. There are tons of reports like this. This is just one. The prospector was surprised to find a human leg bone and kneecap sticking out of solid rock. When the surrounding stone was carefully chipped away, the specimen was found to be composed of a leg bone broken off four inches above the knee, the kneecap and joint, lower leg bones, and the complete bones of the foot. Several medical doctors examined the remains and were convinced that anatomically they had indeed once belonged to a human being and a very modern-looking one, but an intriguing aspect of the bone was their size. From knee to heel, they measured 39 inches. Their owner in life had thus stood over 12 feet tall. Now, is, could that have been a hoax? Sure. But there are a lot of reports like that that you can read in newspapers uh, right into our own century. According to the folks at Answers in Genesis, 
Most cultures around the world have stories of giants. Greek and Roman mythology mentions the Titans, the Cyclops, and several other giants. Norse mythology contains stories of the frost giants of uh, and then African and Asian peoples also have legends of giants, as do Native Americans. In his autobiography, and this, this might be a little bit out there, but I think it's, it's a great story just to show that there are these legends. Buffalo Bill Cody wrote the following words about a legend recounted to him by members of the Sioux Indian tribe. He says, It was taught by the wise men of this tribe that the earth was originally peopled by giants who were fully three times the size of modern men. They were so swift and powerful that they could run alongside a buffalo, take the animal under one arm, tear off a leg, and eat it as they ran. Now, as we close, let's go back to the reason we're interested in getting this right and are spending time on it. It's because we believe we're living in the end times, and thus we want to take to heart Jesus' words where he says in Matthew, as the days of Noah were, and also will the coming of the Son of Man be, for as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. The kind of marrying Jesus had in mind was the marriages and mating of fallen angels with human females that was producing the Nephilim in an attempt to edit human DNA to prevent the Messiah from being born. Next week, we get into some more radical stuff. I think I've mentioned this once before, but... uh, for example, and he says they were not only marrying and giving in marriage, they were eating and drinking. We're going to find out that that is a reference to the fact that the stories of these giants, the extra-biblical stories in books like the book of Noah, or Enoch and Jubilees and books that Jews read and other cultures had books like this as well, they all said the same thing. These giants had insatiable appetites for human flesh. And they ate people and they drank their blood. And so when Jesus said they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, he wasn't talking about wedding receptions. He was talking about the fact that these giants were eating people. It's, and I'm giving away my whole study next week, but I was fascinated by this. Um, the two recent children's movies, the BFG, the evil giants eat people, Right? Yeah, and they have names like Bone Crusher and Flesh Lump Eater and things like that. And then why any parents would take their kids to see trolls. The Bergen are giant, a race of giants that eat trolls and it makes them happy. And all of this harkens back to the biblical story of the Nephilim. Because they were enormous uh, creatures, human-like but, but different than human beings. 12, 15, 16 feet tall, 1,500, 2,000 pounds, who couldn't eat enough and were set out to destroy the gene pool and the human race. Now, we don't expect a new wave of fallen angels mating with women. That's not what we think Jesus was getting at. But we do see the editing of human DNA and recent bold claims by geneticists that we now control the destiny of what it means to be human. Scientists are making the claim that we can change the future of, the, of, of human beings and what the race is going to be because of these uh, gene editing techniques that we have today. Not that we would like to have or that we're working on, but that exists right now. Gene editing was happening before the flood. It's happening again today. That's why we say, as the days of Noah, 
uh, are the days today, at least in that very important respect. Amen?